You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 168. In this episode, I'm speaking to Martin Steiger about the new EU data privacy law and what online business owners need to do now. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today's guest is Martin Steiger, who is a Swiss lawyer and entrepreneur for digital law, including data protection law. Martin is the co-founder of two legal tech startups, Papier Tiger in Switzerland and Datenschutzpartner in Germany. Martin is also the spokesperson of Digital Society Switzerland. By going to signal.com forward slash 168, you'll find links to Martin Steiger and his companies and the show notes of this episode. I'm so excited to be here with Martin Steiger, who is my go-to expert uh, from Switzerland in digital rights and privacy law. He's uh, done once a webinar inside my lifestyle business community in my Facebook group. And here he is on the show to talk about privacy and the new laws coming into effect in the European Union and maybe something more. Thank you for being on the show, Martin. Thank you for having me again, Sigrun. I'm excited to talk uh, with you about the GDPR, about the data privacy in Europe and in Switzerland. Yes. Before we dive into that, I want to share with the listeners how, how we kind of met, because I always have some kind of a connection to all the speakers or guests on my podcast. I'm actually, out of all the guests that I've interviewed, which are probably getting close to 100 people, there are only two that I didn't know. Somebody just recommended them and I just had them on my podcast. But everybody else is someone that I know through something. And, and most of the time I reach out and ask people to be on the show. And the same goes for you, Martin. And uh, I was for a long time looking for a lawyer who would understand online business. And it's tricky. It's really difficult to find lawyers. It's kind of a traditional, uh, you know, occupancy somehow, you know, and many of them are still in the old ages. And I had been looking probably two years when I discovered the blog post of yours. I think it was something about drones was the first blog post I, I discovered. And now owning a drone myself, I've suddenly realized actually the laws were kind of flexible two years ago. You could do almost anything and now not so anymore. So I was almost too late in buying a drone. And then, we, then I contacted you and we, we met over lunch, which is nice because you meet someone face to face. You kind of get to know them very differently. And then uh, we did this webinar together on all the things you need to consider an online business on your website. But now we're here today to talk about data privacy. How did you get into this topic? You know, one thing is to be a lawyer and one, another thing is to get interested in this particular topic. Well, data uh, privacy is, of course, everywhere as a law firm, but also as an entrepreneur, uh, I have to uh, take care of data privacy myself. So it's also my own experience. I'm also active in net politics. 
So I care about issues like surveillance, state surveillance, the Snowden revelations, topics like that. So I have a personal interest, you already mentioned it, in IT, in online stuff. And data privacy is, of course, always a part of it. At the moment, we have this Facebook discussion or the Cambridge Analytica discussion. It's everywhere. The law is changing all the time, especially now with the GDPR. Uh, the Swiss data privacy law is under revision as well. So it's always a topic that uh, has been traveling with me in my life, back to university, of course. And now it has become a hot topic again uh, for good reasons, I think. At the same time, sometimes I really get tired of data privacy because it takes time, it takes efforts. But if you look a little bit closer, it's probably a good idea that we have data privacy in Europe and in Switzerland and that we are doing something about the enforcement. Yeah. Well, actually, one of the reasons I did reach out to you because I felt you had a balanced view of this. You know, of course, data privacy is to protect us. You know, we don't want our data to be all over the Internet. But at the same time, we want to build an online business. So we have an interest that some data is shared and people are not too strict about this. Uh, so that's why I feel it's great to have you on the show to talk about what all of this means now. Okay, before we dive into GDPR, obviously the Facebook crisis is a crisis. What is your opinion of what people should do about Facebook. You know, not that we focus a whole episode on it, but you know, this is a hot topic and we kind of cannot not talk about it. Yeah. First of all, don't panic. <laughs> don't panic. That's really important. Don't believe everything you read in the media. For example, don't believe that uh, there was a data breach. Um, you often read that, read that at the moment. No, there was no data breach. Uh, it was more or less part of the business model of Facebook. Of course, they don't sell your data. They want to use your data and uh, sell, let's say, the audience to third parties. Of course, in the past, apparently, it was uh, possible to gather data through Facebook ads. And that would be my second and most important uh, recommendation. Don't do IQ tests, quizzes, and so on on Facebook. Don't do that. Just don't do that. You know, you can spend your time, even if you are really bored with other things, watch YouTube if you like, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so don't do these quizzes, don't harass uh, your friends, don't sell out your friends. And uh, maybe as a third recommendation, as a last recommendation, check your privacy settings. Just go through them one by one. The explanations provided by Facebook are usually understandable. They aren't that bad anymore. So just think about your privacy settings. Don't lock everything down. Uh, I mean, it's a social network. You think the advantages are much more than the disadvantages. Just try to become aware uh, what you can do with the settings, what others can do with your data. Do some reading if you like and discuss about it as we do it today. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. The first thing I always say to people, not panic. So I am glad you not used as the first recommendation. And the second thing is, we don't want to leave Facebook. It's a connection tool, a community tool, and not just to business. I think actually much more for family and life in general, but we need to be aware of what we're doing and not just move and, and have the blinders on. So let's move into DTPR. I asked uh, two weeks ago or so, or at least, yeah, no, it's 10 days ago that I asked a question in my lifestyle business Facebook group what questions they have about DTPR. I was preparing for this interview, but also just generally, I'm curious of what people know. I think a lot of people are just not aware what's coming. 
especially if you don't live in the European Union and especially if you don't live in Germany. So if we look at it from the perspective of someone in the United States, from Switzerland or, or some other countries that are not in the European Union, uh, there is a little, very little talk about this, to be honest. So can you describe in very simple terms what this is? Yeah, well, GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, it's a new law. It already exists. Uh, it has already existed for almost two years. And on the 25th of May, it will enter into force. So uh, it's nothing really new. You uh, could have had a chance uh, to uh, do your reading and do your preparations for almost two years. But of course, uh, we are always a little bit late. That's just uh, normal for human beings. So basically, uh, it's a new uh, data privacy legislation in the European Union. New means that it has a strict focus on enforcement. Because today, if we are honest, uh, data privacy laws are kind of a paper tiger. You know, uh, there are issues with enforcement, uh, maybe not in Germany, uh, where the data protection authorities always have been really strict. You know, this uh, famous or infamous uh, German internet angst. Uh, you know, if it's online, it must be dangerous. That's uh, a little bit of a different approach. Uh, anyway, and there is already an existing uh, EU data privacy law. Yeah, but it's not unified. The single member states just had to move uh, the existing uh, European Union data privacy law in their own laws. And now the GDPR, it's a one regulation. It's directly applicable. There are still some leeway for national differences, but uh, most of it is unified and will be directly applicable uh, starting on the 25th of May. And that's why everyone uh, who has a basic understanding for GDPR gets a little bit excited because there are also new possibilities, but new obligations. Unification of data privacy legislation in Europe is, of course, an advantage too. If you are present in more than one country, uh, it makes life easier. On the one hand. <laughs> on the other hand, um, yeah, this focus on enforcement puts some pressure on those who haven't taken care of their data privacy obligations so far. Why, you know, I have the feeling that this law is written for big corporations, probably against Facebook and Google and Amazon and others who have been dealing with our data in maybe more ways than we realized, but also some scammy practices that are out there. You, you go to a networking event and write down some email addresses and then you just kind of put it into your email list. Like, but online business owners who have already been doing it correctly, let's say, uh, you know, having opt-in pages, even, you know, uh, I would say most of my clients in Germany have a double opt-in. Are they really after us? Who should fear of being punished? Well, enforcement is actually planned on all levels. There are some small business, small and medium business exceptions, but they will not really work in practice. So the GDPR is focused on all businesses, but you're absolutely right. Many new rules can be explained with a view to Facebook and other American companies. Also the sanctions, you know, up to 4% of your annual worldwide revenue. That's obviously focused on Facebook, on Google. So the idea is that sanctions can hurt. On the other hand, for a small or medium company, a small sanction can hurt too. Maybe even a letter from a data protection authority can hurt. So uh, enforcement is planned on all levels, but you don't have to be worried, uh, especially as a small business owner, as a single entrepreneur, that you are the main focus 
of data protection authorities. At the same time, uh, every person, uh, you and I, will get more rights. So it's not only to be worried about sanctions, you know, you might have to deal with more requests. Requests about the data being processed. Or if you do agreements, uh, your business partners might ask you, hey Sigrun, uh, you know, uh, we are doing this GDPR thing. Uh, we got uh, some legal support, uh, we have modified our agreements. What's about you, you know? Can we send uh, you our data or vice versa? Is it well protected? Are you GDPR compliant? And then if I have to say, oh, what is GDPR? I have no idea, oh, I don't care. That will probably not work. But also the main driver at the moment uh, in my daily practice, it's not uh, about the sanctions. Of course, everybody knows, uh, who knows about the GDPR, that there can be sanctions, but it's mostly about business partners and clients and customers because they start to ask questions. Or for example, if you use MailChimp, if you use Google, if you use Microsoft services, other companies as well, you now get these updates, you know, oh, we are updating our privacy policy. Oh, uh, please, uh, could you agree to the data processing agreement? For example, if you use uh, Google Analytics, there's this option directly in the user interface. So, oh, so you start to notice, oh, GDPR is there and it's there, it's everywhere. I think that's really important. And speaking of everywhere, and that's maybe also the point that's difficult to understand for some in Switzerland and in the US, the GDPR is designed to be applicable worldwide in some situations. So persons in the EU, not just citizens, persons in the EU shall be protected worldwide. Mm. And also if I'm, you know, sitting in the EU and I, somebody signs up for me, my email list, I have to be GDPR compliant. So uh, it kind of puts every worldwide company into the position of having to look what they need to do. They cannot just say, well, there is no EU citizens that sign up for my email list. Most companies cannot say that. Yeah, absolutely. Please careful. It's not only about citizens, it's about persons in the EU. So if an American tourist travels across Europe for two weeks, uh, he's also covered by the GDPR as long as he is in Europe. Mm, yeah, that is a fact that people don't realize. So let me dive into some of the questions that came to us up front. So compliance guidelines, step-by-step, step. where can people go? <laughs> because, you know, one thing is for us to talk about this, but where could someone go who says, I have no idea where to start. I live not in the EU. So where can people get information about what to do? My main recommendation, especially in English, would be the excellent uh, online information provided by the ICO. That's the Information Commissioner's Office, uh, the Data Protection Authority in the UK. If you check out uh, their pages and their online offers, it's really excellent. You know, they have a 12-step program, they have checklists. Uh, also, uh, right at the moment, I have their uh, website in front of me uh, here. Uh, so they really provide excellent information. They also have this kind, excuse me, no bullshit approach. Yes, which we both like. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important, you know, the UK is still a member of the EU. So if their data protection authorities gives recommendations, for example, or publishes example documents, you can rely on them. Of course, uh, the German authorities might have different opinions. Usually they have. Everything is a little bit more complicated, uh, more German. <laughs> but in the end, um, you don't have to rely only on the advice by Germans. So especially in English, go and surf on the webpage uh, of the ICO, the UK Data Protection Authority, and you should find excellent information. 
Great. I was already on their website. I will make sure that we link to that in the show notes so that people can go there. I also found their information to be really, really good. And also in addition, you've already linked it on Facebook, but that's not known to everyone listening. Uh, right now, you link to this website, gdprinfo.eu. So um, that's a nice page just with the text uh, of the GDPR uh, and with the recitals. So uh, if you really want to know the primary source, and of course, it's always recommendable to read the primary source, uh, the original text. It's like if you read a book, you know, you want to read the original if possible. And so that's also a good option, especially better want to know, oh, is it really applicable to me? You know, I'm not in the EU. Is it applicable? Then you can just read. And then, if, for example, I put in front of me, one criterion is the monitoring of behavior as far as their behavior takes place within the union. So that's uh, translated, okay, if I'm monitoring the behavior of persons in the EU, uh, the GDPR is applicable. Yeah, whether they are European citizens or not. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, you can just read that. I have to admit, uh, it's a European legislation. You know, it's a result of opinions from 28 member states. Uh, there was a lot of lobbying and so on. So the text is not always great to read, but especially the first few articles, the definitions, I think uh, they are worth a look. I have also, yeah, I linked to that already in the Facebook group and I have also been reading some of the text and I had to share with, uh, you know, especially as my clients have been asking about this more and more in the past uh, weeks, is that uh, what you just mentioned before, different countries may have a different opinion on how to actually execute the law. And uh, my brother is a lawyer too, and uh, he also uh, studied, uh, well, not data privacy, but digital rights. Uh, he doesn't work as a, as a private lawyer now. He works for the government, so he's not going to come on the show. <laughs> but uh, what I know from running a business in the last 15 years and having a, a, working with lawyers is the law is never literal. You know, you read it and there are different, can be still different opinions on how it's applied. And what I've noticed in the GDPR discussion, as you just brought up, is that there might be stricter uh, rules in Germany versus other countries. Yeah, but the EU also has a solution for this problem. For example, Ireland is well known that their data privacy enforcement, well, might be lacking. Uh, that might also be another reason, well, of course, there's a tax reason, but another reason why Facebook and all the other companies usually have the European uh, headquarters in Ireland. Uh -huh. So uh, there's a solution for that, meaning other data protection authorities can force data protection authority in another EU country to uh, do the enforcement uh, as they recommend it. Of course, there's still some national sovereignty, uh, but in the end, there will be enforcement uh, in each EU countries. But on the other hand, of course, the cultures are still different. You know, privacy enforcement in Italy will always be different than in Germany, because almost everything state-related is different in Italy. So they have another approach. Uh, it might be more lenient, but don't get a, a wrong picture. Spain, for example, is well known uh, for data privacy enforcement, especially against American companies. Mm. So even if you have the Spanish lifestyle, they are uh, stricter on the on the laws. Yeah, for example, uh, the renewed right to be forgotten has its uh, new roots in Spain. As far as I remember, uh, the decision against Google, the whole proceedings started in Spain. Mm, very interesting. But it's good for people to remember that uh, there will be a different opinions from different lawyers. So if you talk to lawyers, depending on where they come from and also just how their view is so I, I that's why I love talking with Martin uh, because I know we have 
I wouldn't say relaxed view, but balanced view on this. Of course, we want data privacy, but at the same time, it is, I may not have the same opinion as someone that is residing in Germany on this. Yeah, it's also important. Uh, yeah, you know, in business, every day you take risks. So the same as with data privacy. It's an important issue. The approach just to say, oh, I won't do anything, you know, I'm a small company, I'm a single entrepreneur, will probably not work out. But uh, you're also not an international company. So uh, that's a, a different approach. But you should be aware of your risk so that you can make an informed decision. Yeah, exactly. That's what this is about. So we are informing people about this works. Still, everybody needs to do their own due diligence and decide, you know, yeah, it's a risk level, essentially. So let me dive into some of the questions. So some, yeah, we have here uh, people from the US that didn't realize that this applies to me. And my answer basically was already yes, it applies to you. So I think we have said it twice already on the episode that it doesn't matter where you are in the world, this law applies to you. Yeah, that's true. Um, whether it applies to you is based on so-called processing activities. You process the personal data of other people and you usually do that if you have an online business. There's almost no way out. Of course, there are always exceptions, but I think it's easier to deal with the GDPR than to look for exceptions. And if you process personal data, then there are two factors. Either you make offers, goods and services uh, to persons in the EU, even free offers, then it, it's applicable. And the other one I already mentioned, that is the monitoring of behavior. We could translate that as tracking, as web tracking, uh, if you use analytics software and so on, then it's applicable too. But I want to uh, repeat that. Free offers are covered as well, you know? So a newsletter, a white paper download, a freebie, it's an offer. It's an offer, yeah. It's an offer and you'll process personal data because you usually ask at least for a mail address. Yeah. Now, this is one that comes up a lot for online business owners. Let's say you are offering a freebie, lead magnet, opt-in, whatever we call it. It's a free offer on your website. And now, according to the new law, uh, there needs to be consent. Obviously, we asked for consent before. We had, you know, the offer stated and people have to enter their name and email address and they click a button. So now they have to have a checkbox and accept the privacy uh, law. But what online business owners are, are worried about, because there are two schools of thoughts I hear. One is that if I add them to the newsletter, I have to have a special checkbox and say, yes, I want to be added to the newsletter. The other school of thought is, well, it's a free offer. You know, you've been business long enough. You're a grown-up person. You know you will be added to the newsletter. If you just write by signing up for this uh, freebie, I will be adding you to the newsletter. And then you still have a checkbox for the privacy law. Which school of thought do you <laughs> agree with? Or maybe both? Mm -hmm. That's an important difference. First of all, data privacy legislation is all about transparency. So inform, provide information. Be honest, you know. I mean, yeah, you're doing business, so you can be honest, you know. Of course, it's a freebie. I mean, that's why it's called a freebie. So you give a freebie to uh, make future business possible. So be honest, you know. If you say, okay, you can download uh, this PDF uh, ebook for free if you give me your mail address, you can do that. And of course, the person ordering your free PDF is giving her consent. But as soon as the download has happened, you would have to delete the mail address. I mean, it's actually a very stupid uh, way of 
providing a PDF. So it's great because you could just link it for, for, the, for the purpose of providing the PDF. So you, of course, you want new subscribers to your newsletter. So just be honest, write the short text, you know, um, by ordering my free PDF ebook, you also subscribe to my newsletter. You can, of course, always unsubscribe. Uh, we'll provide you with this and that information and so on. So just be honest, that would be the basics. Uh, a tick box is not necessary, a button is fine, as long as it is clear that you give your agreement by clicking or tapping on the button. And then also about transparency, especially with newsletter subscriptions, MailChimp is uh, the prime example. There's usually tracking involved, you know, click tracking. You also want to know uh, whether your newsletter gets read or not. So that will be the moment where you could link to your data privacy policy. And in this data privacy policy, you would inform about the tracking, why you do the tracking. For example, oh, you know, I want to make sure that I can improve the offer in the end. It's an offer to the newsletter subscribers. And that's another important point. Consent is not the only possibility as a reason for legal data processing under the GDPR. You know? Other important legal reasons are your legitimate interests especially when you cannot even get a consent. If you have no contact to your users, that would be uh, web tracking as the example. And the author is translated uh, at least for business reasons. So if you make an offer and the newsletter, even if it's free, is a classical uh, business offer, classical uh, business reason. And of course you have to do improvement. Also information security is an important reason. You have to make sure that the data is uh, processed in a safe manner and so on. So transparency is important. Consent is often a good option, but it's not the only option. No, I, I especially uh, as I have been informing myself on this, if you have, for instance, clients uh, and let's say a client has bought something from me for $50 and typically from just running my business now over four years, I know that someone who buys something for $50 are highly likely to be interested in another product that might cost $2,000. It's a legitimate interest to send promotion email to that person and say, hey, you know, I know you bought this and many have been interested in other offer. I would not need consent for that. Yeah, that's a situation where I'd be more careful. Yeah. Especially uh, from a German perspective. And even if there are differences between the EU and member states, uh, the German perspective in data privacy is very important. So in doubt, you know, just provide the necessary information right from the beginning. Of course, if you're making a good offer, you know, this person is expecting your offer, there won't be major issues because most issues related to data privacy uh, result from the abuse of personal data. The data protection authorities has limited resources and you're probably not in their focus. But if they get a complaint, you might be in trouble. So even in this situation, and you also have to remember, there are not only data protection laws. There are, for example, also in the EU, e-privacy uh, laws. There are also changes coming, and not right now, but maybe in one to two years. And every single EU member state, but Switzerland as well, has uh, legislation against unfair competition. So maybe you don't need uh, consent uh, from a data privacy perspective, but all those laws uh, might make it recommendable at least. But in the end, of course, communication is important. Copywriting is important if you make great offers, if it's easy to unsubscribe, the likelihood that you run into trouble is, of course, uh, really low or really small. Yeah, it's the topic of bundled offers. And I felt I was, as I was reading up on this, it 
was probably, I guess, the initial problem or why they wrote it in the law is sometimes you get an email address and let's say it's a big company that owns a lot of companies. They just give your email address to the other companies. And I can totally understand I would not be happy with that. But if it's within the same company and it's an obvious part of the customer journey, which is we talk about in this business, it's interesting if that becomes more of a troublesome approach, if it's been, uh, you know, something that you normally would expect to be okay. Well, there are, of course, different expectations uh, from a business perspective and from a legal perspective. And it's true that GDPR is rather strict, but most things are still possible if you provide the necessary information. Yeah. It's all about communication. Exactly. I'd be honest upfront. Usually transparency works out fine. I also have clients, they are a little bit worried, you know, oh, you know, can you tell our website visitors and our customers what you are doing with their data? Then I explain, you know, okay, in the best case, you've already provided a list, you know, uh, which kind of personal data are you processing, for which purposes, how do we do it, and so on. Then you can just go through the list and think for yourself and be honest with yourself, you know. Do I really need that? You know, is it still some a tracking tool uh, from the days uh, when I was developing my website? Do I really need to know every single click of a user on my website or even newsletter subscriptions? Do I really need to know whether a specific person opened the newsletter or not? Wouldn't it be sufficient to know if enough persons open my newsletter or not? Uh, considerations like that. And you just go forward, you provide the necessary information, because if you get a complaint, you can explain, hey, you know, I'm happy to remove you from my list. I'm happy to follow your wishes. But just to make sure, you know, we gave you the information, you know, we were not dishonest. We didn't try to trick you into something. You had the information at hand. Maybe you didn't read it. Okay, you know, I mean, you cannot be forced to read data privacy policies. Uh, very often. Uh, it would be painful to read them, not because of the content, but because of the wording. By the way, that's also a goal of the GDPR, to make data privacy or policies more readable. Although at the same time, there are so many points that have to be included that that's kind of challenging. Yeah, they want one thing, but it's not possible to achieve it. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. It's about communication. Let's say it's about legal communication. It's always the same in the end if you're doing business communication is at the heart of doing business and that's the same. And here just provide the necessary uh, transparency and you've made a big step towards GDPR compliance. So what if people are using tripwires, which is the example of the $50 product, would you put on the purchasing page that by buying this product, we will be sending you some information about other products related like Amazon is doing, a little bit like me. You bought this book and I know you're interested in these books. Absolutely, yeah. I would provide information. Uh, of course, you don't can and have to provide all information at the same place. You, know? uh, you can do an approach with uh, several steps. So you should provide the most important information directly on the order page or on the subscription page. And then you can link uh, to a privacy policy where you provide more information. And maybe you can even link to a FAQ or whatever. Uh, you don't have to provide all information on the same page. Yeah. Okay. But there has to be some way where we could prove in hindsight that we had provided that information, let's say. 
Yeah, it's important that you mention proof. According to the GDPR, if you process personal data, you have the burden of proof. So if you say a few years later, oh, okay, you know, uh, Gerber's consent, uh, you should be able uh, to provide the necessary proof. That's not always that easy. No, maybe you've canceled the software that you used to get the proof or uh, something has happened, you don't have all your data. Isn't it then advisable just to repeat the consent every few years or once a year or something? Yeah, you can do that as well, of course. I mean, also for business reasons, because data with a reconfirmed consent becomes more valuable, of course. Very true. So let's see if there are here are more questions. Uh, buttons, social media buttons on the website. That is, you know, you have to be compliant there too. Yeah. I mean, my question is, are social media buttons still a thing? You yeah. know, I mean, especially nowadays you have social media integration uh, in the browsers on your smartphones. So, I mean, I haven't used the social media button for years. If I want to share something on social media, I use just the browser function on my iPhone. I would recommend against social media buttons. You can still use them. Uh, you have to provide the necessary information in your uh, privacy policy. But on the other hand, you take part in global tracking. So is it really the idea to feed data about your website visitors uh, to Facebook and other uh, globally acting companies? And probably that's not the idea just to get that button. So uh, you can still use them. You can provide the necessary information, although that's a little bit tricky too. For example, uh, that's not a prime example of tracking, but uh, Facebook Pixel. Can you still use it? Uh, yes, uh, it has to be the privacy policy. Uh, whether you need a consent depends on what you do with the data. There are many possibilities with regard to all these Facebook custom audiences and so on. So they can be based on Facebook Pixel, but there are other possibilities as well. But you have to provide the necessary information. But in the end, you know, I mean, you don't get consent usually. You could ask for consent, but uh, you cannot really ask every visitor of your website for consent. That would not work for you and me. Maybe it works for uh, Facebook. They can do that or Google can do that. We cannot do that. So the question is, uh, is it in your legitimate interest? in comparison uh, to the data privacy rights of your website visitors? And if you're honest, the answer is maybe not yes. You know, so is it in my legitimate interest to provide data about my website visitors to Facebook, you know, uh, to make them a part of this tracking network? Probably not, but uh, it's still legal if you provide the necessary information, if you are transparent. Yeah. Well, I would say that's a very common practice to do uh, re what we call retargeting. So uh, let's say you are in the middle of a promotion and uh, in the promotion you are providing a link to the sales page again and again and people click on it. Of course, you can track the clicking in the email, but often you're using the data that they actually visited the sales page and then you create Facebook ad that is shown only to the people who actually visited the sales page. And that's a very effective strategy and not one that people necessarily object to. I know I'm being targeted every single day with maybe pages that I visited. And these are at least ads that I like to see versus if they would show me something else, I would not be so happy. Yeah, just be careful. Facebook has been prosecuted several times in Europe for Facebook Pixel because they were tracking non-Facebook users. I could say, oh, non-Facebook users, is that still a thing? But uh, it is, you know, uh, not everyone is on Facebook. So be careful, at least closely uh, follow the current developments in this area. 
the latest conviction was in Belgium just a few weeks ago, as far as I remember. So uh, maybe do some Googling, uh, read the newspaper articles, so uh, that you can make a decision, should I still do that? My actual issue, especially with regard to Facebook Pixel, is that uh, if I have to write a privacy policy, of course, I can mention, oh, we are doing retargeting with Facebook Pixel, and you can find the privacy policy of Facebook, uh, this location, but it's impossible to find out what Facebook really does with the data. Even if you ask them, you don't get good answers, and that makes it a little bit difficult. That's, again, this point about honesty. You know, of course, it's very useful and it's a common practice. In this case, I've just mentioned in Belgium, Facebook also said, hey, it's a common industry practice, but it's actually a rather bad excuse. So just be careful. I would at least start with transparency. I often go and read, uh, try to read the data privacy policies on websites. There are many issues, especially because they are not uh, transparent enough. It's really easy to get a list of the trackers in use. And you can just check, oh, are they mentioned in the privacy policy? And very often they are not. Or, for example, you see Google Analytics, but there are many possibilities with Google Analytics. There are many different uh, purposes for Google Analytics. So uh, it's important to know that it provides the information so that everyone who's interested in getting more information can just do the necessary reading. And, uh, you know, many uh, websites in Germany have the cookie policy, but outside Germany, not so much. Would you advise now is the time to add that if you don't have it yet? No, you can still wait. Of course, cookies have to be a part of your privacy policies. If you use them for non-standard purposes, what do I mean by non-standard? Uh, for example, to remember a login, that's fine. Or also if I have an online shop, you know, to uh, remember what was already chosen, that's fine. But if you use the cookies for tracking, they have to be in the privacy policy. Uh, these uh, cookie banners or cookie notices are a little bit controversial. There's a respective uh, EU legislation, but uh, not all member states uh, have actually followed it. Uh, Germany is one of them. It might be a little surprising, but so in Germany, it's very controversial whether you need to have them. So if you surf the web, you'll notice some have them, some ask for your consent, others don't. Uh, usually, it's just a kind of game because the first cookie is already set before you're provided with information. Yes, you've already been cookied before you accept it or decline it. Yeah, if you ask for consent, you know, you should ask before you set the first cookie. So uh, if you go to our own uh, website, uh, stigolegal.ch, there's no cookie noted. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know because I was wondering if it's time. So that might be an indication at the moment. Uh, I also use a content blocker against uh, cookie banners. So I uh, don't see them most of the time. Oh, there's a cookie banner blocker. Oh, I need that one. <laughs> because I feel I'm constantly just accepting these because I know I'm being cookied. So I, I wonder what's the purpose at all to ask me about something they are doing already. They usually don't work. I mean, even if they're just for information purposes published, uh, you can just continue to use the site. I mean, of course, it might be annoying, but if you don't click uh, the banner away, you can just continue using the site. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a funny policy, funny policy. Yeah, the effect on list building, people are, are worried about, you know, there was this rumor, there's lots of false news or fake news, let's say, about GDPR that you can't offer freebies. We've already discussed that. Totally fine. Uh, free sessions, you know, cannot be offered, but that's a freebie as well, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything that you think of in terms of typical online business you can't do anymore? Okay, we talked about the follow-up offers. We need to be more upfront and honest and communicate more. But is there anything you can think of where you can't do anymore in a typical online business? Yeah, you have to be more careful with tracking. So you have especially to check whether the third party you are using, you know, if you use tracking, you do some kind of outsourcing. You do it on the tracking yourself. Uh, you do outsourcing, for example, you use Google Analytics. So you have to check, is your outsourcing partner, is the third party, is it GDPR compliant? So with Google Analytics, that shouldn't be a problem. Google has also published a lot of information. I also heard the rumor that they plan to force all uh, Google AdWords users to ask for consent of their website visitors. We'll see how that turns out. Um, but it's important to check for compliance, especially with companies outside Europe. Swiss companies are considered compliant all the time because uh, the EU recognizes that uh, Switzerland has a very uh, similar data privacy legislation. Uh, with the US, uh, you have to check whether the company you're working with is certified under the so-called Privacy Shield. The Privacy Shield is a, a, a framework between the US and Europe and also between the US and Switzerland. And it replaced Safe Harbor. That might uh, still uh, ring some bells. Uh, it replaced Safe Harbor, now it's Privacy Shield. And uh, if companies do this self-certification, then you can consider them GDPR compliant. Uh, there's a list, the privacyshield.org, there's a list. You can simply check if a company uh, is GDPR compliant. If it's not listed there, there are other options as well. Uh, contracts are an option uh, with standard contract clauses. In doubt, just ask. I've contacted many American companies already and asked them, hey, you know GDPR, do you know about that? Do you have any plans uh, to become uh, compliant? And the reactions were really different. You know? Yeah, some, some are not aware of it and others are not planning to do anything. And, and, and I think that's, uh, that's when you realize who you want to work with or not. So I am working with Infusionsoft. They plan to be compliant, but they're not yet ready. But there are other companies who are totally ready. I'm very happy to see Google. I saw email from them about this. So uh, that, was, that was great. You know, it's obvious that many companies will not be ready by the 25th of May. It's again, do you have a good feeling? If you ask them, you know, about GDPR or maybe they all have blog posts. So do you have a good feeling? Are they on the way to GDPR compliance? If not, you might have to find uh, other business partners, other third party services. Uh, it might be time for a change. Very true. So... Some people are doing a price draw or something like that. You know, price draws have always been something special on the internet and you cannot automatically assume that people want actually something more. I know this from actually working with my clients that often when you do use a quiz as a freebie, it doesn't necessarily result in good sales afterwards because people are just love to do price draws and quizzes. So I guess that's, that's again about you cannot assume that they want more information about your business. Exactly. If you do an online quiz, if you do a price draw, and of course, if price draws, Facebook has special rules, most countries have special rules, but from a data uh, protection perspective, there are always the same few basic principles, and one of them is transparency. Another one is that a consent might be necessary. Just follow these principles and you'll be fine. So if you do a price draw in order to gather mail addresses for other mailings or for a newsletter, just tell them, 
by entering into this online contest, by doing this quiz, by providing maybe your mail address, you're also subscribing to our newsletter. And again, you can write, you can always unsubscribe and so on and so on. Just be nice uh, and just imagine how you would like to get the information. There's also uh, this so-called 12-year-old uh, test, you know? Just imagine you're talking to a 12-year-old child, you know? Would it understand what you're doing with uh, the data, you know? Don't take that uh, literally. Uh, there are special data protection for children. The idea here is, you know, a 12-year-old child is still a child, but has a certain understanding. So uh, you could also say, uh, talk to a stupid <laughs> adult. <laughs> but, uh, but that would be rather insulting. Uh, so we're talking about a 12-year-old child, uh, of course, an intelligent child for uh, its age. But that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was just recording a podcast episode earlier today. And uh, it was about marketing and we didn't mention GDPR at all. But I said, if a nine-year-old, I picked actually a nine-year-old. I said, if a nine-year-old doesn't understand what you do in your business, you need to simplify your marketing message. <laughs> yeah, maybe for marketing, it's a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can agree on that. We can agree on that. Okay, it's obvious that we need to change a little bit our landing pages and, and possibly when we're selling services, we need to be clear what happens after they buy something or sign up for something. And obviously, we need to a new privacy policy. But it feels like there is something else we need to do. When you say, well, we need to prove, like there's a lot of other things that small business owners need to change in order to be compliant as well. Yeah, there are many other obligations. Uh, they are usually not visible to the outside, except for one. One such obligation is that if you are not in the EU, so if you're in the US, for example, or in Switzerland, you need the data privacy representation in a EU country. And you also have to mention it in your privacy policy. So that's the exception, because uh, if you check your privacy policy and I don't see the address of a, a data privacy representation in the EU, I know uh, at first sight that you're not GDPR compliant. Very important point. Yes. Thank you for that. So I also noticed a point uh, because I was looking for my own data privacy uh, representation, especially in Germany, and I didn't get a single affordable or usable offer. So the solution were, was uh, to find my own uh, data privacy uh, representation together with a good uh, business friend. And uh, that might be interesting to you and also to your uh, listeners. They also opened that to other small businesses. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. I've actually already signed up. <laughs> yeah, okay. I no On the first day. <laughs> we opened it uh, to other businesses. So uh, maybe we can also discount, uh, give a discount uh, to your audience. Uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> but that's important to uh, remember. Then there are many obligations uh, not visible to the outside especially documentation. For example, uh, we've already discussed a little bit about that. Uh, you need some kind of list of your processing activities. Now that's uh, where the differences between the various member states start. If you go uh, to examples uh, published by uh, German data protection authorities, they usually uh, want to know every detail. I recommend again, go to the ICO, to the British Data Protection Authority. They have uh, really great examples how you can do that. So you can uh, do an approach that fits your risks, that fits uh, your business uh, size. So what documentation is most important. And another important point, you have to be prepared for requests. 
you know, if someone contacts you, hey, I'm one of your newsletter subscribers, I'm one of your customers, I'd like to know what kind of data processing you do. You know, do you have data about me? Then you have to be careful, you have to take it uh, seriously, you know, because uh, that's part of the uh, enforcement uh, activities related to the GDPR. A persons and their personal data uh, should be better protected. That goes into the right to be forgotten, that goes into information rights. Take that seriously. Don't wait too long to give the necessary answer. So you would have to prepare a document so that you're not caught by surprise when that person comes along, which there's always this one person that <laughs> that's going to come along at some point. This one person can only ask for information. On the other hand, uh, data protection authorities can ask for your list of processing activities. And if you don't have the list at that moment, you might be in trouble. If you have any list, it should be fine, you know, because the data protection authority might, okay, you know, there's room for improvement, Sigrun, maybe you can do that and that, but hey, great, you have a list. Yeah, you have something. So that's the whole point. Get started and make your list. Even if it's not perfect, something is, is better than nothing. It was one of the things I suggested right away. People are starting to ask, what do I do? What do I do? I said, make a list of all the tools that you use. That's the first step. And of course, you need to write like you said, with Facebook, what do you do? What kind of data are you storing or are they storing for you? Yeah, don't wait, start. It hasn't to be perfect, you know. Just, you can use Google Docs, you know. You can start a list with bullet points at the moment. You can improve it when you find the time, when you feel like it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when everything else gets done, this is the last thing. No, but actually people should put this a priority now in the next weeks. Yeah, and this list is important because if you don't have a list, you have no idea about your processing activities. Usually, if you start creating the list, uh, you make some interesting discoveries. Oh, you know, oh, I still have this tracker on my website. Oh, I'm still uh, paying a fee. I haven't used them for uh, months, you know. Or maybe, oh, the password, uh, should I change it? Or have I uh, already enabled the latest security features? Uh, so on. It's very true because I started a list and I forgot a lot of tools. I went back to my list. So it's nothing you can do in one go. I think it's better to do several attempts and you'll find new tools. Look on your computer also what you have on the computer. I do most of my, uh, you call it processing in the cloud. And I realized I used to work over Evernote with my one-on-one clients and I don't do it anymore. Like you said, maybe there are tools I used in the past, but moving forward, you don't need them. So the less tools you have on your list, the better. Yeah, same with websites. You know, sometimes if I see that the website has 20 or 30 trackers, you know, I mean, that doesn't really affect you as a website visitor if you use ad and content blocking, as I do. Also for security reasons, mostly, less for privacy reasons, but it might even make your website slower, you know? Very true, very true. So we have here, quick last questions here. What happens to data you already have? Are you allowed to use it? Does it matter if they're a client or not? And what should we do with that kind of data? If you have data, you already have it, uh, you have to check whether its collection was already GDPR compliant. For example, newsletter subscribers, you didn't ask them for consent or you didn't provide the necessary information. So uh, you could say, okay, I have this list of mail addresses. Maybe I should ask them again for the consent. That would be the solution. Uh, the really proper solution from a legal perspective would be to start from zero if you have a list of uh, email subscribers uh, without the GDPR compliance. 
but also here, you know, uh, you can take a risk-based approach. A risk-based approach would be, okay, I'll try to get the content from many subscribers as possible. It might also be a good moment to increase the quality of your subscriber base because uh, most subscribers no longer interested in your mails, simply ignore it. Unsubscription is not the norm. They just ignore it or they just ask uh, Gmail to filter it as spam or to ignore it. You will never know. So, of course, especially if you have a, a large number of uh, recipients, that might work out fine. If you have just a few hundred, that's not the approach you, uh, you can go. But here again, think about your risks and you might say, okay, I won't change anything. My uh, newsletter subscribers are happy about the content I'm providing them. You could say, oh, I'm really risk averse, you know, I'm really afraid of this sanction. So I start from zero or you can uh, move somewhere uh, into the middle. Yeah, this, this is a business decision in the end versus uh, always, uh, you know, going with a literal law. So... Yeah, I think the first step is to list all your things. And we said uh, then in the background, uh, uh, the tools and your data processing. There is an email floating around the internet right now, the most horrible email you could get. <laughs> Have you seen that one? Is someone uh, requesting access no, to their data? No. no, it's more like a, it's not a fake email, but it's written by a lawyer about that horrible incident when you get that email about this person. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw that under another name. Uh -huh. Yeah, but the, the risk is real. Like, we should take it seriously. And if we don't have the resources ourselves, do you think that people need to hire a lawyer? Do they need to buy a course? Like, if people feel overwhelmed by all of this, where would they go for help? Well, it depends on how you work, you know. Personally, I usually try to gather as much information as possible myself. For example, on this ICO website. So, of course, if you uh, rather want to work uh, with external support, you know, to say, oh, I can't do that myself, uh, I don't have the time, uh, it's simply too much, then, of course, uh, you can go uh, to a professional, like a lawyer. At the moment, you have a little bit of a situation that most professionals, uh, data privacy professionals, are rather yes. busy. But still, uh, you also find uh, many information online, but be careful, there's a lot of fake news floating around. So, don't believe everything. Be careful, even if you read it on a lawyer's website, uh, you know, I mean, if you're a little mean, you could say, oh, uh, that's great business for them. So, you know, uh, they might not have the don't panic approach, <laughs> uh, might be exactly the opposite. But that's basically what you can do if you want to get reliable information, start with the data protection authorities. They publish more and more information, including the EU. They have more and more information on official pages. Uh, take it with a grain of salt. And then you can use other information. Uh, you are not alone usually. I mean, as always in life, be careful whom you choose as your company. It always remembers me of these Apple support forums, you know, where really desperate and rather unqualified uh, users try to find help. They usually get it from other desperate and not that professional users. So in the end, uh, they might not be better off. So be careful, as always, check the information you're using. Of course, also in your Facebook group, there's a possibility for discussion, you know, ask the others, you know, oh, I read about that and that, is that real, you know? For example, with this uh, data requests, I wouldn't consider it a risk. Usually, you should be able to provide sufficient information. And should you get many requests, uh, the software will have to change as well. Of course, uh, sometimes at the moment, there's not much you can do. 
I also hope, for example, that MailChimp will allow for aggregated uh, tracking. So, because the tracking of newsletters is not necessarily person-based. So, uh, at the moment, you can check whether I opened your newsletter or not. That is not really necessary. So, at least they should offer it that you can disable this feature. So, I'm pretty sure that software will change. Uh, it's already visible that some offers are changing, not only the privacy policies, also the tools available. And of course, you make your life easier if you go with third-party providers, uh, with internet providers, with companies in general, uh, where you find GDPR compliance. Of course, you cannot always change third-party services right now. For example, you might use an invoicing service, time tracking, all kinds of software as a service in the end. Be careful, watch them, because if they haven't gotten the signal yet that GDPR is a thing, you know, no matter what they do, their core business might be in trouble as well because GDPR compliance is still easier than maintaining a core IT business in the long run. And that's what you're interested in as a user. Perfect. Yeah, that's right. So this has been a lot of information to process. I think this topic is not over. It's just getting started. And I have the feeling, you know, first I was very unhappy about this. And I, get a, I guess a lot of online business owners were initially very disgruntled. But what I figured out, this can be advantage. Like if you're really GDPR compliant and you put that on your website, you know, you're more likely to get business than someone who isn't. Yeah, it might even that you don't get business if you're not GDPR compliant. And we also have to remember we are not only business owners, we're not only uh, entrepreneurs, uh, we are also the victims of data processing. Yes. <laughs> So uh, we all have a personal interest in a good level of data protection, in a good level of information. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a quite a extensive, uh, intense topic to discuss. I bet we have to discuss that more in the future. We will link to your website on the show notes uh, and how people can find out more, the ICO as well. Thank you so much for your time, Martin, to be on the show and answering all these questions. My pleasure. Thank you, Sigrun. Want to know the secret behind my multi-million dollar lifestyle business? Go to sigrun.com forward slash 168 to find out more. There you'll also find show notes of this episode and links to Martin Steiker and his companies. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe, and give the show a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.